today, I have an amazing guest. She is a former stand-up comedian. So she's always making me laugh. I mean, seriously, always. She's a coach. She's a consultant. She's a trainer and a speaker. And she's the author of the upcoming book, One Size Fits No One. My guest today is the fabulous Jessica Michaels of Neurodiverse Work Coach. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, Jessica. I'm so glad you're here. I am going to hire you to introduce me to everyone. I'm just going to have you walk in front of me and give that introduction. And I think that would just be life-changing for me. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. And I would absolutely do it. I would just actually run in front of you in the grocery store and go, oh my God, have you met Jessica? Perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm that cheesy. I, I truly am. I, all my friends are, you know, teasing, you know, lovingly. We, she, Carol Jean is the cheerleader. <laughs> She is our ex. She is our extroverted friend that that keeps us busy and doing stuff that otherwise we'd never leave home. And I'm like, I would never leave home if you guys didn't inspire me to want to do stuff. That's wonderful. Well, it's it's so wonderful having you within the community because some of us, you know, want to do things, but just our motivation is not always enough to spur us into action. But a couple conversations with you and and action just seems to take place. So it's great, great to have you here. <laughs> I love it because you know you said to me before we started recording, you're like, I never come away from a conversation that I don't have like this laundry list of like stuff I want to do. <laughs> Like, I always have my to do list. Time we talk. Yeah, to do list out and ready because I'm going to get three more book ideas. I'm going to get a project. You know, it's just. But hey, that's that's what it takes to change the world. Then that's what we'll do. Absolutely, it's so be it, and that's what I love is because Jessica Michaels, you are out there changing the world. You're out there changing the world in a really important area for us, and that's in the workforce. Not just any workforce. You're talking big corporations, big companies, powerful places of influence. And that makes a difference. So thank you for championing those places and spaces for us. So Jessica, I would really love to dive into this because, you know, you were identified like me late in life. You were 40. You got your autism identification, your ADHD identification. You're like, holy heck, this just changed my life. What would be like, the number one thing from that knowledge that changed the way you felt about yourself, like how you had been previously like identifying yourself before you knew. And then like, once you knew, like, what did you, what shifted? What was the biggest thing for you there? Yeah. I think before I got my identification, I always knew that I was smart. I knew that I could communicate well on paper, I had all of these things that should be markers of success. And yet, I was not having the success that people had projected on me since I was little. Oh, she's going to be a lawyer. She's going to be a doctor. She's going to be a Supreme Court justice. She's going to be president. And I was none of those things and really was having a hard time figuring out what the disconnect was. And so clearly it had to be me and that I was lazy or that I wasn't as smart as people thought I was. I was fooling everyone. Um, and that was really tough. So when I started working and, you know, would, would get to these places where I would be successful in the tasks of the job, but 
would fail when it came to the interpersonal relationships or the things that you really need to do to get promoted, or I'd be promoted and become a manager and the wheels would just fall so far off the cart. I mean, it was just incredible. So there was clearly a ceiling for me and I just didn't know why, but I knew it must be because I was terrible, clearly. Then I got the identification. It was like, wait wait a minute. Okay, so I'm not just this bag of wasted potential. There's a reason here that these things are happening and I'm actually doing pretty well. You know, by comparison, unfortunately, to a lot of people within the within the community. So it really flipped my perception of myself right on its head because I went from feeling like I will never live up to the potential that I was meant to have to I am actually in a really privileged place as far as my employment and my career. And I need to help other people. Um, figure out how to get to where I am, because there's no reason that I shouldn't have, you know, dozens and dozens of, of neurodistinct colleagues with me at any given time. And I, oh, I so deeply relate to that. I like, it's like the bag of untapped potential. Like really the, the weight of that, when you don't know, and you've been told your whole life, especially, you know, Oh, you have such a high IQ. You're so smart. You're so articulate. You know, you, you really think on this other level. And then it's just like, well, I can't tie my damn shoes. Mm -hmm. And, and somehow, you know, people have these expectations because they have these perceptions of who they believe you are and what your capability and capacity is. And when you're not able to meet that because of you know, the things that are different about us and how we navigate the world. And then all of a sudden people are like, whoa, what's wrong with you? And that really starts to shape the way that we feel about ourselves and getting that identification to be able to put those pieces together and go, oh, I'm not those things that people have made me feel like I was failing. Like I was lazy. Like I just couldn't seem to get my crap together. Like I was this just disorganized, bumbling, nutty professor mess. I actually, now that I know these things, I can navigate my life a little differently. And it's, it's amazing how that reframe and just learning some new things about yourself and just sort of doing things in a different way and not putting these unrealistic, crazy expectations that meet no one <laughs> and no matter what their neurotype is. But we tend to onboard those because we, we believe in black and white. And if you say it, it's true. <laughs> Well, and I think we have this kind of mis, uh, misconstrued idea of what everybody else can do or what we should do that I don't know is wholly accurate, you know, because to me, oh, people should get their work done, not just at the last minute before, you know, the, the project is due. Um, people should, uh, you know, people should reach the highest pinnacle of their profession. They should be promoted every year. And it's like, I don't know that in the greater society, those standards are accurate. I think we are holding ourselves to this idea of unlimited potential and constant success. And we feel like we're the ones not attaining it. But I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily attain all the things that they want. We just feel it because 
all our lives, we've typically been told we have the tools to excel. You know, you're going to be all of these things. And so when we can't do middle management, then it really stings, you know, so it's, it's a tough, it's, it's a tough place to be. I think female neuro, uh, neurodistinct individuals feel the weight of that. From my experience, that tends, that's, that is, happens to a lot of people, but most frequently I see it with my, my female colleagues and clients. Oh, I would have to agree with you 100% on that one really does. The, the social norms uh, and sort of the gendered indoctrination in, in our societies um, really impact that drastically. So one of the things that I love, well, multiple things, but we're just going to start with one. <laughs> one of the things I love is you have a quote on your website and it was when you were meeting with one of your managers, like, I think it was during like maybe a performance review and they were like, you're meeting all your goals, but you're still failing. And I, that is something so, so many of us have experienced in our working life. It's like, you're meeting all your goals, but you're still not succeeding. And it's like, you, you feel like you've reached this this glass ceiling and there is this glass ceiling, you know, we talked, we talked about so long and so many decades about women having this glass ceiling and no breaking this glass ceiling, but as autistics, we have this glass ceiling in the workforce where we advance to a certain place and it's sort of the same thing as you described, you know, you are hitting all these goals. So there's no reason not to promote you. And when it's, you know, when you're slowly still at the bottom of the rungs of the ladder, it's a little easier and you move up, you get a promotion and you're managing a, a smaller team or a couple of people. And all of a sudden the freaking all the wheels on the 18 wheeler jump off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the things that you noticed? Cause you also coach and you do a lot of, of executive level coaching with for neurodistinct humans in the workforce, because this is a big deal. And, you know, even getting into the workforce and maybe even changing careers and navigating where your career is headed, you do that and you do that really well. What are some of the things that, that our listeners and our, our viewers today, what would be helpful to them to start to recognize, you know, what is something that maybe we need to be aware of? What are things that we can do to help so that we're not being set up to fail essentially on the other side. Mm-hmm. Companies have a responsibility in this as well. So do the managers, right? Absolutely. You know, it is, I would say that it's like 60 or 70 years ago, a bunch of old white men got in a room and said, this is what a professional person looks like, sounds like, and acts like. And any deviation from that is seen as wrong or bad. Uh, And when you look at the ways that neurodistinct individuals do their work or the way that they communicate, there are differences. I mean, they're just going to be... And so what we need to do is really open up that definition of what is professional. You know, one one of the challenges is as we look at accommodations in the um, in, in the workforce is that when you're at a higher level in an organization, the job descriptions become like successfully partner with customers and colleagues to execute ideas. First of all, what? 
But second of all, when you're looking at accommodations from an ADA perspective, how do you break that down into a space where accommodation would even make sense? Um, many jobs want you to just look at the job description and then base the accommodations off of that. But you know, you take that to a professional and they say, but there's nothing in here that you couldn't technically do, but we know that we're struggling hugely. It, it's really this, this idea that I almost think it's just nobody expected us to get this far. So nobody has planned for us to be here and now we're here. Like, this they is don't know what, what to, to do. do. So I think if I was giving advice to managers or um, really anybody, I mean, because this works for neurodistinct people too, it's really check your assumptions about individuals when they communicate. You know, it is so easy to get off a Zoom call and hang up and go, oh, that person was a jerk. Is that person a jerk or did they just not smile at you? Did they jump right into talking about the task? Did they not make any small talk? Were they just very direct? You know, did they really attack you or were they just very direct? And it's very easy to get back on the phone and say, hey, Carol Jean, that last call, I was sensing some negativity. I don't know if that's what I should have gotten. Um, did I interpret that correctly? And that gives a person, you know, the ability to say, oh, that was not what I meant, or yeah, I was having a real bad day, you know, whatever, whatever it is, um, is a, to me a really good, very basic start. I mean, if everybody did that, just that one thing, the world would change. The world would change. Oh, I agree. You know, there's this wonderful book called The Four Agreements by Don mm. Miguel Ruiz, and I love it because it, it really made such a huge difference in my life because I took everything personally because I thought you were supposed to, you know, and I would get those, don't wear your heart on your sleeve. You're so sensitive. You're so dramatic. Your feelings always get hurt, blah, blah, blah. And it's because I was taking everything personally and I was failing to see or understand that the person on the other side wasn't operating from a place of attacking me or making me feel bad or anything. They were operating from the own, their own perspective, the own story that they were telling themselves about whatever was happening in the situation. And it could have been wildly different from the same experience I was having. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's just such a big part of our human connection is, you know, just to start with, don't take anything personally, take things as from a place of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And compassion. I actually like you can't call just it, have curiosity. You have to have compassion. I actually call it compassionate and uh, curious communication. Oh, <laughs> because I yes. think that's that. Yeah, that's what um, that's it. That's part of the book. But it's oh, I um, love it. It's it's just about and it's so funny because I tell this story as I was reaching out for people to interview for my book. I had someone uh, reach out to me and she's like, well, I'm who you should talk to because I am neurodistinct and I, you know, I do the job that you're, you're looking for. And I haven't worked with her for years. I mean, it's probably been 15 years at this point, but I just remember thinking, I really did not like this person. <laughs> this person was kind of a jerk. And then I'm going, oh my gosh, like even I just seeing that name from far, far, far back in my past brought up this negative thing. It's like, so even I 
am doing the exact thing that I'm telling other people not to do because it's just so, so ingrained in us and so, so natural. So questioning your assumptions is one of those things that is said in every diversity training and, um, and, and leadership training, but it is hard because it's an everyday all the time thing. Um, but it's something I think that we can do if we are committed to it, but, but it happens to everybody. Nobody is immune. Oh no, not even me. I, I have to check myself all the time, but what makes the difference is the awareness. You know, I I've developed something called, and I don't have a name for it yet. So right now it's just sort I call it the thought chain because, you know, in psychology, you have something called a behavior chain. And I read it and I'm like, I so do not go with this because this does not apply or work for the neurodistinct brain and how we mm. think and how we process. Cause it's all about how it's all about thought, but the basis of the thought chain is it all goes back to belief. And a belief is simply a thought that we have agreed to. And we've agreed to multiple times. So we now have onboarded into this unconscious belief. And this is sort of, we believe this is what something is Mm -hmm. or how Mm -hmm. something is or who someone is. And really just realizing that a belief is simply a thought that we've agreed to more than once that we have onboarded as part of our foundational belief system. And that that is now coloring the lens that we view all things with. Well, if we agree to that thought at one point, we can also disagree with that thought at one point. We have that agency. And that is just the place that I catch myself now that makes such a difference because I'll feel those feelings because, you know, we feel them in our body first and you you feel it kind of, ooh, this person is a sandpaper person. They are rubbing me the wrong way, every which way but loose. Like it is like painfully rubbing. They're like 80 grit sandpaper, right? (laughs) And it's like, wait a minute, are they really? Are they really an 80 grit sandpaper person or are they just saying some things that maybe I'm holding on to or that I believe or that maybe are a sensitive spot for me and they have no idea. Yeah, which is a much nicer way of saying it's not all about you. You know, because I've had people say that to me or say, you take things so personally. And then like, but I, I don't mean to, I don't try to. So I think that's a great reframe of that message is that, you know, cause you're not intentionally making things about you, but you could be unintentionally letting things that other people are communicating, you know, kind of come into you as being a certain way, being about you or, or at you. And it's kind of a, a, just a shifting of how you're viewing that other person's position, which to me is a lot nicer than stop making it all about yourself. You know, I think that's much more positive. Auti- I like that. How many autistic people get that in our life all the time? They're like, you know, somebody will share something. They're like, oh God, I had that happen. And, and it's, and they're like, well, this isn't about you. You don't have to make the conversation. You don't have to like make yourself the center of attention, blah, blah, blah. I was connecting. I was sharing your experience. (laughs) I was telling you, I know how you feel. (laughs) Absolutely. But it's, it's tough, you know, especially when you think of work, um, 
because we know that the, the statistics for unemployed neurodivergence kind of all over the place, you do see fairly reliably a statistic about autistics in particular, that 80 to 85% of autistic people are un or underemployed. And one of the big reasons for that, I think, is the interview process, because the interview process is really this mysterious dance where there's all these rules and I think the reason I was so fortunate, one of the many fortunate things that have happened to me in my career that I didn't recognize at the time is that my first job was in recruiting. Um, I had been an admin assistant and then just that was the position that opened up and they put me in there. And I think they said, uh, that's the first time I heard, we're going to give you a new title. We can't give you any more money, but you know, that's a separate, that's a separate issue. So they didn't have anything to lose. They were bar barely paying me anything, but because I was a recruiter, I was trained on how to interview people. So I learned very clearly what to look for in a resume, what we were looking for and who we would call versus who we wouldn't uh, in an interview, what we expected people to do, how we expected them to act and respond. And then later on in my career, I began to teach professionals who were maybe the first person in their family to go to college. You know, what's the difference between a job in an office and, and a job at a fast food restaurant? They're, they're both jobs, but there's just a different comportment that is expected of one versus the other. So it became my job to learn and understand and then share back all of these strategies that I don't know if I hadn't had those experiences. I don't know that I ever would have figured out on my own, um, you know, that it is that if they say, do you have any questions, not only is the answer can't be no, but you also have to ask the right questions because there are wrong questions to ask. Um, or when they say, tell me about a time you failed, what they want to hear is tell me about a time you failed at work, something work related that you learned something from, and now tell me how you're going to avoid that in the future. They're expecting five parts of an answer when they asked you one question. And those things are things that unless somebody tells you, how would you know? And I think as a society, it's really silly. Why are we expecting candidates to jump through these hoops? And then if they fail, we're somehow relating that to whether or not they can be a good coder or whether or not they can be a good trainer. That doesn't make sense. How we equated those behaviors with job success is really, really a mystery to me. I think we can go back to whoever wrote the textbook for human resources training at the university level. <laughs> that, my friend, is where we need to start, in my opinion. Yes. And you know what opinions are like. <laughs> Everybody's got one. <laughs> But but some smell want... better than others. So really, <laughs> you can pick and choose which ones you look to. I want the cute little rosy ones. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. I so love talking to you because we always have fun. We always laugh. <laughs> so Jessica, I would really love to know and to share with our audience the number one tip for you working with your brain. Like once you learned you were autistic and ADHD at 40, you know, you've already had some pretty freaking spectacular experiences that have shaped, you know, 
what you know, how you know it, why you know it, and how you execute it in your life. So, you know, there's so many things that you had learned to navigate and figure it out before you knew this. But once you knew this extra component that really kind of changes everything in life, mm-hmm. what is, what's a way that you've learned to work with your brain now that's yeah. really been life-changing? Yeah. So at I- At work and too, <laughs> not just life, but it work yeah. too. I really had this idea in my mind of what a professional should do. Like, you know, it would, I would see a block on my calendar from like two to four and I would say, oh, I have a project to do. I should work on it then. But that is not a good time for me. That is really not a motivated time for me. That's not project time for me. And so I would consistently though, see this block on my calendar and go, well, what professional could have two open hours designated for project work, but they can't stop reading Yahoo news, you know, or, or stop looking at Buzzfeed and trying to take a quiz to see what kind of cheesecake they are. Like, how is this? How can I have this job at this pay and still be that person? The other thing, you know, I I would be, um, I had a colleague, I was uh, putting together a presentation and the presentation was Monday. And like the previous Tuesday, she emailed me. She's like, oh, can I have the slides for your presentation? Like, I mean, that presentation is Monday. We will be lucky if I do them Friday. But realistically, if that thing's at 10, I'm doing them at eight. Like, so I worked with a coach and working with a neurodivergent coach. That is overall my tip is work with neurodivergent professionals. Um, But was um, she said, she's like, I said, I've really got to start doing, you know, get myself motivated in the afternoon. And I really need to start doing my work earlier and da, 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 da. And she would say, why? She'd say, you're pretty good at your job. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, so what does it matter if you make your deadlines? Why does it matter if you do something at eight the morning of or a week before? She's like, if that's not the expectation, you're still meeting what they've asked you to do. You know, she's, you know, we looked at my day and I really do have productivity time in the morning. That's really the best time for me. And so she's like, so just set your mornings up as your work time. And then if you have bonus time in the afternoon, that's great. But all you're doing is setting yourself up for failure. So you're just in a guilt cycle of you're never going to get this stuff done. You feel bad about it, but you still keep planning it, thinking all of a sudden you're going to be a different person on Wednesday. You're not going to be a different person on Wednesday. So it's it's really about just letting go of what I should do and embracing what I can and will do and not feeling guilty about that. There's no shame in that. And that has really been transformative for me. Well, I can't cheer loud enough over here, but I would probably blow the mic. And I love that that was your answer because that has been like the, the conversation of the week. Allie and I had an hour and a half conversation about that exact thing yesterday. I love that. And that's one of the things that, you know, you and I have talked about before. It's like, well, what are your peak performance hours? What, when is it that your brain is most creative? When does, when does all the the great goodness and amazing, sparkly, wonderful things in your brain, when does it happen? And, you know, you're a morning person. I'm, I'm a mid morning person. And so we jive and, you know, we had a meeting that was kind of late in the day and you and I were both like, 
oh, this is really tough. I'm struggling. I'm on the struggle bus, you know, and then the other part of the team that was there with us is like, we're late people. This is great. We're like wide open. And I'm just like, you guys are just going to have to let Jessica and I circle back to this in the morning. <laughs> we're just onboarding what we can right now. And, you know, that was one of the things I had um, somebody in the community comment, you know, because I was asking about what's the biggest challenge that you face with work and in the workforce. And one of those things is 40-hour work week. Like just clocking in, just ticking the box of being somewhere for 40 hours. And it's like, for me, you know, by ADHD, high speed brain, I'm like, I could crank all this out and be done in two days for two 10 hour days. And then I want three days just to recover because my brain, when it gets going, it's on fire and I'm doing my best work. But if I'm just piecemealing it and forcing myself five days, eight hours a day, that's not getting the best out of me. And I think that's one of the things that we really also need to look at because that's not just for us, for our neurotype, that's for all neurotypes. And it's like, and I love that you talk about a culture of preferences. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's mm-hmm. so beautiful because it's, it's looking at the individual needs of each person because yes, you have a job that needs to get done within your company and you have this, you know, job title and job description, and you've got you know, these, these expectations and these goals and all these things that go with this job. Great. Do you really care when they get done? If it's 2 a.m. or 2 p.m.? As long as, you know, if there's a deadline and it's done and at that deadline in that time, do you really care if they do it in their pajamas upside down at 3 a.m. On, in the morning on their exactly. laptop in their bed? Who cares? Exactly. And it's, there's so many things now as we look at, um, you know, the future of work being hybrid, you know, where people are going to be at home and some are going to be in the office or where we look at working across the globe, asynchronous work where we aren't all in the meeting together commenting on the thing, but we're commenting on the thing virtually from wherever we are, whenever we are. There's a lot of that style of working that is very neuro distinct friendly. It's just neurodiversity friendly because it it covers everybody. So I think there's a lot that is going to naturally happen in the workplace that will be more supportive of a neurodiverse population. I think the attitudes are the things that are hardest to change because there are still managers who want, you know, butts in seats and they want to see when you're working and they think, okay, well, if you did all your work on Monday and Tuesday, great, you can get twice as much work done on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And those are the old school attitudes that really need to go. Um, But when you look at from a corporate standpoint, employee engagement, those are where your employee engagement scores are very low, where your work-life balance scores are low, because good work-life balance doesn't mean you have less work. It means you can organize your work and your life in a compatible way so that if you need to run the kid to the doctor on a Wednesday, you know, you know that that's not going to cause you any, any difficulty. Or you need to play some video games Thursday afternoon at one because you're totally fried from your morning, but that doesn't mean you're not going to get the work that they're paying you to do done. So I think 
you know, as we move forward, there are going to be a lot more open-minded individuals, I hope, in the workplace, especially now coming out of a pandemic when so many of us have been home for a couple of years. But there is still stigma. There absolutely is still, um, you know, that, that old line of thinking. I think when I think of a culture of preferences, I, I think the beauty of that is so many of the things that make our lives difficult as neurodistinct individuals are kind of taken care of when people's preferences are paid attention to as much as possible. And that means when you do need an accommodation, there's so much less rigmarole to have to deal with because you've already gotten A, B, C, and D just by the nature of your work. It frees up HR to really focus on those particular issues. Um, but it also just creates a culture too where you don't stand out because everybody has a flexible schedule. It's not just you. Uh, everybody can comment on stuff at two in the morning, not just you. Everybody can you know, prefer to have morning meetings instead of afternoon meetings or, or whatever it is. It doesn't make you stand out as getting special treatment or preferential treatment. And then the accommodation that you need um, just makes, you know, it just kind of seamlessly sort of blends, blends right in. So I would really love to see our preferences, you know, and, and from a, a corporate standpoint, you want people working at their maximum capacity at, at the best they can, then if you honor their preferences, then you're going to get your bang for your buck. So I think it's just, you know, positives all around. I agree. And I think that's, that's the heart of, of what is so important in shifting the thinking that's happening in, in corporate culture is that it lacked reciprocity authentic reciprocity. Somehow there was a belief that I'm paying you. So I'm going to squeeze every bit out of you I can until you're dry and there's nothing left and I'll discard you. And hopefully you'll, you'll be more resilient, quote unquote, than that. And I'm hoping to hire people or be super, you know, and I can use every bit of you and then, you know, get what I can. And there's your money. That's your compensation. That lacks reciprocity, authentic reciprocity. And it, it lacks that, that ability to grow and, and to have retention. Because if you're running somebody into the dirt, even, and especially those who are really great performance focused individuals, because, you know, those high achievers, those people that are ticking all the boxes, but then failing on the other end, you know? And I love it because your book that's coming out, One Size Fits No One really talks about all of this in such a wonderful way. And I cannot wait for it to come out. I can't wait. You guys will be the first to hear. You guys will be the number one group that will be letting heads up. Hey, Jessica's book is out. Please get this because you're not going to want to miss it. I promise you, you won't. If you need a work coach, if you need someone to speak and present to your company, please get in touch with Jessica Michaels. She is fantastic. And she's also funny as hell, super smart, really witty, and very, very insightful. And she will change your life and she will change the life of your company for the better. Jessica, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Here in Mind Your Autistic Brain, we are an educational resource for late-identified autistic ADHD adults. We are providing programs, training, seminars, and consultation in the workplace. We're so glad you're here joining us. This month, we are launching the NeuroDrive team. This is a division of Mind Your Autistic Brain 
focusing solely on the workforce needs of the neurodivergent population. We are going to be launching our Autistics in the Workforce campaign August the 1st. Please join us. We will be talking all things alignment and accommodations and needs, you know, burnout, those things that when they're not, our needs aren't met, that's where we end up. That chronic cycle loop that you hear me talk about so often. We're also going to be talking about culture. What is the workplace culture? What are the things that are present? What are part of social norms? What are the things that need to shift or change in order to support all employees of all neurotypes, especially in this time of economic recession, where many companies are scaling back? Google recently announced that they will be putting a hiring freeze between now and the end of the year, other than for key um, positions due to the economy and looking to be more innovative and creative. So we also, as employees seeking positions, have to look at, well, what is available? Am I putting my best foot forward? And what are the questions that I should be asking or that I need to be asking to make sure that the corporate or company culture that I'm joining is going to be the best place for me and be supportive of what I do in the world? That work and life harmony is so critical to all of us. And it's something that the great resignation brought to light for all neurotypes. As we move forward, we will also be talking about communication. What are some of the biggest common occurrences in miscommunication at work? What are some insights for the neurotypical person? And what are the insights for the neurodivergent person on both sides of this conversation? How can we bridge our communication and understanding and misalignment gaps that we do have? Because from human to human, we have them, but from neurotype to neurotype, research is showing we definitely have them, but we can do something to improve them. And how do we do that? We will also be diving in and talking about what can we do when we're looking for a position? What can we do when we are hiring? So we're going to be having some conversations on both sides of the table this month. and. We will be launching the This Is What Autism Looks Like Autistics in the Workforce video campaign, showing what we're doing in the world as autistics. Where are we working now? In what industries? And in what positions? It's so exciting. And I can't wait to share some of these fantastic jobs that our amazing neurodivergent people in our community are doing. 